Listeners, start your engines. Franchise Detours, episode 14. Rob here. You can find more episodes of this show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and other podcatchers, as well as crookedtable.com. If you can give us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or rate us on Spotify, would really help get the word out about the show. On this episode, we're finishing off another mega series. It's graduation day, y'all. And we're moving on to Evil Dead 2013, the remake, reboot, sequel, question mark, uh, that is thus far the latest entry in the Evil Dead franchise, obviously, uh, most of which is created by Sam Raimi. This one is Fetty Alvarez coming in the director's chair and a brand new star in Jane Levy, which we will get into in this conversation. And on this episode, I have film critic Angie Aguayo, who helped me round off the Child's Play slash Chucky series last time tying the Evil Dead series in a nice bow. So uh, we're going to talk about this film. And then afterwards, when we have everyone's ranking, including Angie's, we will come back around and we will tally up those numbers and we'll see the guests, how the guests feel about this franchise, what is the best film and what is the worst film of these four Evil Dead movies. Stick around for that. But for now, let's listen to a little bit of the trailer and then jump into our conversation with Andrew Guile about Evil Dead 2013. Detours, where we believe no movie series travels in a straight line. On this episode, we are doing the fourth and final entry in our Evil Dead mega series. And here to talk Evil Dead 2013 with me is Angie Aguayo. Welcome back to the show. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. So last time we had you on, we were also ending a horror series. We did uh, Cult of Chucky, which, which was a ton of fun. So people that haven't heard that episode, tell them a little bit about yourself and, and what you have going on. Sure. I'm just, I'm a film student who's going to Weber State University in Utah, and I'm hoping to become like a film critic, a film journalist in the future. 
Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. And you have, you have a blog and, and you're very active on Letterboxd, which is, is how I first took notice of, of you and then your work, I think, uh, just on <laughs> there you. with Cult of Chucky. Because I was like, you know, I a little behind the scenes when I'm scouting for these episodes, I do go on Letterboxd and take a peek and see like, well, what people are into these movies? Like, what's the situation? And you were very favorable on Cult of Chucky. And then you you really like this movie a lot too, which we'll get into. So I was like, well, I bet Angie has some interesting things to say on this. So, so yeah, definitely, definitely check out Angie's uh, Letterboxd account if you're on that website, uh, as well as, as well as her blog. So Tell tell me a little bit specifically what is it when were you introduced to the Evil Dead franchise as a whole and and you know what are your general what was your your general experience watching this movie Well actually the first time I watched one of the movies I watched Army of Darkness um it was sometime when I was in high school and I thought it was awful <laughs> I thought it was awful <laughs> Because I didn't realize it was supposed to be a joke, you know? Right. And then a few years ago, I actually watched the rest of the series and rewatched Armory Darkness. But it was in a time where, like, I was, like, horribly depressed and I didn't even know what my mental health, what my uh, taste in film even was anymore. Yeah. And so I rewatched them when you asked me to come on this show. And I like them all now. So that's pretty good. Yeah, no, totally. It's one of the ongoing themes in these episodes has been how much the the tone, the genre changes from especially the first to the third one, where it's it evolves and leans more towards comedy as it goes on, where I, I totally hear you about being thrown by Army of Darkness. I think that was a lot of people's first entry point into the series. And then as they went back, they're like, oh, wow, these are all completely different. It's, it's, it just shifts from what seemed like it was initially supposed to be a straight horror. It's debatable with the first Evil Dead, whether that was supposed to be like played straight or if it was intentionally more on the campy side. I feel like it's, I feel like it's the former. Where do you land on, on the first movie? Do you think it was already trying to, to throw some horror comedy out there or was it just read that way by audiences i don't know i think my theory is that they were trying to make an actual horror movie and it ended up being super b movie camp and then they realized that oh this is really unintentionally funny and so they just went ham on that in evil dead 2 and 3 yeah that's what i think so too that's my read and the funny thing about it with this film is that I feel like this is the one, like this is the only one that's to me is like a horror movie. This is the only of the four that's that is, I would say, really scary of the of these these films. Would you agree with that? This is the the time they actually nailed it, and it's uh, nailed at least the the, you know, the first movie being billed as the ultimate experience in grueling terror. Like this is this one actually fits that description much more closely. Yeah, I do think so. It's funny you mention that because. My phone screensaver right now is the poster for the original. Nice. And it says, Stephen King says, the most ferociously original horror movie of the year. Yeah, yeah I think his review is a big part, too, in getting that, that initial movie out there. And it is scary. Like, I'm not, I'm not totally discounting it, but... Y- yes, absolutely. No, I, I agree with you. I think it, it's, it, it, it's the fact that they're 
all pretty much brand new actors in that first movie and doing dealing with limited resources and Sam Raimi is like the style and, and flair is there but it's it's unpolished and I think it's all of that you can see like the seams a little bit maybe that's a part of it mm-hmm. and uh, as opposed to Fede Alvarez for this film had a much more substantial budget, the benefit of modern effects and actors who had been, Jane Levy had been in a bunch of stuff before this, including a television series and all that stuff. So I think mm-hmm. all of that works in his favor. Yeah, I think so. The updated budget like helps it a lot, but I also really love like the practical effects of the original film. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and you can tell, like, I feel like he did as much practical effects here as possible. Like it's, it doesn't, it's not, you know, it's not CG'd all over the place. There's certain elements here and there and moments where that's used, but he was, I, I think he seems like he's, he was trying to be an old school approach to horror where it's it just gallons of, of fake blood and a lot of prosthetics and a lot of that thing, much more than CG creatures or anything. Oh yeah, it looks awesome. Yeah. One of my favorite things about it is how gory it looks. <laughs> yeah, very much so, very much so. So one thing I want to get into before we really get into the meat of, of this film is, do you do you consider this, is, is this, clearly it's it shares a pretty close title to the original film, a, a reverse Suicide Squad thing where they dropped the the, but other than that, <laughs> other than that, it's about the same. The premise is very similar, five people go into the cabin, the details of that are completely different. There's a lot of callbacks and hallmarks of the franchise in this film, which we'll get into. But do you consider this a remake? Is this a reboot? Is this Does this exist in the same universe as the other films? Because I've seen arguments uh, on both sides. That's part of why I'm including it in this mega series. Because for the Chucky Child's Play one, I'm, I didn't do the remake. I'm not really necessarily doing remakes. I'm doing ones that are either in the same continuity or or it's open to being in the same continuity, I guess. So where do you land on, on that? I I would say it's part of the original franchise it's in the same universe doesn't yeah. bruce doesn't uh ash have a cameo in the mid credit scene yes he shows up at the very end turns to the camera and says groovy but there's yes. no clarification what the hell that means if there was some <laughs> there was at one point a plan for a sequel to this that would have brought bruce campbell and jane levy together in a movie i still want them to do that but instead they did ash versus evil dead they did the new evil dead rise which is coming out next year which sounds disconnected to all of this so i'm not i said this on on the previous episode of this mega series but if if they want to go like with an evil dead multiverse i'm cool with that it's just whatever you have a book <laughs> that can open portals so you might as well that is true and like i was gonna say that the original trilogy were all so different anyway that they might as well be the same universe yeah like if if the first three were in the same universe and those three are all so different. They might as well all be. Exactly. Exactly. And there's, there's elements of those, of those first three that each movie retcons elements of the movie before it. <laughs> <laughs> so if you wanted to, you could be like, oh, like, I don't know how familiar you are with all the Marvel stuff that's been happening, but you could be like, oh, well, these, these are just variants of Ash. And it's like, what if this happened? What if this happened? Because it does lightly re, recontextualize the events of the previous film evil dead just clears out the other three people from the cabin and it's just him and linda and then that plays out in a different way 
mm-hmm. the Army of Darkness picks up with Ash in, in, in a different circumstance somewhat than the end of Evil Dead 2. So you could almost just be like, yeah, they're all independent. Like any movie really of this franchise, I feel like works as an entry point because of that. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah. I, I like I like the I like to believe this is this is also in the same universe. So in that in that in that scenario, would this be the same cabin? Would this be a different cabin? Are there <laughs> cabins with books of the dead all over the place? Because there's even the I think at one point you see like Ash's old Oldsmobile parked outside somewhere. So there's like there's there's even visual references to the original. Like maybe Ash was here and moved on or whatever happened to him. He got zoomed to the middle ages and, and then it's just the cabin waiting for someone else to discover it. Yeah. Or maybe it's like an in-universe motel chain. Right. <laughs> there are places all over the place. Instead of a, a, uh, the, the Gideon's Bible, you get a book of the dead in your nightstand drawer. <laughs> that's, that's probably what it is. I like that. We're gonna we're gonna take that and run with it. Well, to that extent, they could totally if that's what they end up doing with this new one next year. Like, uh, they they could just have it be an anthology and just every every movie is just different people finding a book and stupidly reading it or playing the tape and getting into all kinds of shenanigans. Oh, I love it. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. So yeah, so I I like this film a lot. This is you know what is it specifically? I know you wanted to discuss this this point. What is it about this movie as as if you want to consider it a remake? It's certainly a relaunch of this franchise. Mm-hmm. Whether it shares continuity or not, it's new characters and it's it's, it's a, a new vibe, a new filmmaker for the first time. Freddie sure. Alvarez coming in after Sam Raimi did all all the first three. What is it about this as a horror remake? Let's just say in air quotes that works for you. And I know, I know most of them, you agree with the general horror community that most horror remakes, eh, not so great. Well, okay. So you mentioned that we did talk about Cult of Chucky. And I know in that episode, I threw the hat down on the Child's Play remake a little bit. Mm-hmm. And that's specifically because MGM was completely in their rights to make it, but it wasn't made to like, do a different take on the original or like build on it in some way. It was just to make money, you know? And the only difference was the technology behind Chucky basically. Yeah, exactly. And like, if you, if you've noticed on my letterbox, I usually hate the Disney remakes because they're all like that. Mm -hmm. They are all, especially the Lion King, obviously. Yeah. Lion King is the worst of that for sure. (laughs) Like, they were all made to make money and very few of them build on the original in any way. I think Maleficent is pretty good about it, but I know that's a hot take. Yeah. Yeah. Well, at least it's at least even something like Cruella, at least it's a different starting point. It's taking a a character or, or a franchise that we know and, and, bringing a different perspective, not just what if the lions looked real instead of animated, Yeah, exactly. you know, which is literally what that is. And I, I yeah, the Disney remakes are, are a good, are a good example just because it's, it shouldn't be a one-to-one comparison. It's you're going to remake it, then reuse that, that hackneyed word that a lot of filmmakers use and reimagine it. Just mm-hmm. like do something different with that property. Don't do the exact, like it's in horror, the, the 
obvious example being Gus Van Sant's Psycho. It's like, why, yes. what, for what purpose? Is It's a perfect movie. You're going to make <laughs> it, again, slightly more violent, in color, same score, shot for shot, but with Vince Vaughn as Norman Bates and Anne Hayes just... Marion Crane, I don't understand what is the benefit to that. Do a new one and have like Norman's grandson or something, like anything that adds to the mythos, not just trying to apply a new face to it, basically. Exactly. Yeah. And that's why I like Evil Dead, the remake specifically, because it does build on the original in some way. And it's also yeah. made by someone who like clearly wants to make horror movies and wants to make this movie. Yeah, you can you can feel Fetty Alvarez's passion for for this uh, this material, whether the franchise, but also the genre. Just how how invested he gets in in the gore and the we'll get into all the the, the viscera that happens as we, as we go through this film. But but yeah, no, I I agree. I think it's 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 also it it gives you a a more believable reason for why these people are here. Why more of an emotional hook in the first one, it's these five kids and they're going to this cabin on spring vacation or whatever. And they're just going to hang out and smoke pot and drink and get laid. And that's like, that's the premise here from the get go. You're already like, Oh shit. This, the Mia is struggling with, with the drug addiction. She's going Mm -hmm. through withdrawal Everyone is here for a purpose. Her brother is here to try and prove to her that he's there for her. They make a big point of that early on. You have the nurse that's there to to take care of her and she's dealing with any physical symptoms. It's like they're all friends that have tried this for her before, this intervention. And so right from the beginning, you're like, oh, well, that makes so much sense because one, everyone has a, a reason to be on this trip. They're not just there because they're hanging out. And two... It when stuff gets goes bad, everyone has a reason to doubt Mia's motivations for why she's like, I have to get out of here. I need to. There's something in the woods. It's in here, and their and their reaction of oh, she's she'll say anything to get to to get out of this cabin and to get back. Uh, what are what were your thoughts on that whole new element? Because that that is the single biggest plot contribution that this movie does. That's different from the original. I would say so. So. Like I said, after you asked me to join you for Evil Dead, I rewatched the entire series. And one of my issues with the original, which is still a great movie, but one of my issues was like, I couldn't tell who the protagonist was. Yes. Like, obviously, in the sequels, it was Ash, but like, none of them stood out enough to be the protagonist. And now we have one. Now we have someone to like latch onto. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And in that first one, Ash is Ash isn't even Ash. Ash is just a regular dude. He's just he's he doesn't have any really even defining characteristics. I think is your is what you're basically getting at. He's just yeah one of the group, and it's he ends up being the last man standing, the final the final guy, I guess in that case. And yeah, here the whole story hinges and, and centers. Everyone else is revolving around. Mia and and her arc and her struggle and so yeah I yeah I think that's that's a big part of it and Jane Levy in this movie is so good like it's we're now eight years removed from the release of this film and I'm still like what what's going on with this? can we get another one I know she's doing the Zoe's extraordinary playlist or she did for a couple seasons and she did Don't Breathe with also with uh, also with Fetty Alvarez which is another great movie and and it's like I really wish they would 
continue this vein of it just because I thought her performance in this is so strong. And I would say easily probably the best performance of the franchise. Oh, yeah, I would say so. I thought you were just going to say it for the movie, but yeah, definitely. Well, no, no, yeah. I'm going for it because Bruce Campbell's Ash, we all love him in that, but that's more jokey. There's no gravitas to it. And his, his range, he goes from, from the every man in the first one to like basically a cartoon action hero in the third movie, which we love Ash and we love that evolution, <laughs> but there's not a lot of depth to Ash. We get glimpses of it in those films and the first two, especially where you're like, you could see like his psyche starting to starting to shatter and he, he loses his grasp on reality to an extent. And I think that just feeds his delusions of grandeur as the, ser- as the series goes on. But but there's not really much of too much of an emotional hook, rather than other than the the trauma that he's endured. Yeah, exactly. See, like one of the, one of the things I love about this movie in particular is like, yes, it is. It follows the beats of the original. Like it's clear it loves the original, but it's not afraid to change the things that weren't that great about it. Mm-hmm. Like it, and also because like it was a it seemed like a comedy. But this one takes it and plays it completely straight. And I, I, I love that. I do too. I do too. We get the 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 relationship with with her and what's his name? David, right? Yeah, uh, her and, her yeah. and David in this, her brother. And uh, there's clearly some unresolved conflict there as far as their mother who had, who again, again, another way in which this movie grounds Mia's arc is that their mother had struggled with mental issues. And so that it's they're worried that it's going to pass down to them genetically. So it, it plays into, it plays into what, what happens with Mia later on and, and how things go completely off the rails. And it's, yeah, it's really, it's really strong. Just from the beginning, you get shades of, of Cheryl in Mia, Cheryl Ash's sister. So you get a, like a little bit of an echo of, of Ash and Cheryl from the original film here. But but yeah, what, what ends up happening with Mia is completely different. So they start, other than five people going to a cabin, that's pretty much all of like the plot. And they read a book, I guess. They read a book <laughs> and stuff happens. <laughs> uh, how closely do you think this movie really sticks to the plot of the original? Because I feel like it's kids into kids in a cabin, yeah, young people in a cabin, somebody reads a book and then there's something traumatic outside in the woods. And then from there on, it's pretty much all new material, I would say. I, uh, Yeah, that's fair. But that's also like the only plot of the Evil Dead. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But it builds so much onto it. I think that I guess is my point. Like it takes that what on paper is a very basic premise that now it's just it's become an archetype of horror films the cabin the cabin movie like literally there's cabin in the woods which mm-hmm. played really really brilliantly into that but they add so much more depth and and uh, and oh man well once it gets to like 37 minutes in i think i i, I wrote it down i clocked it where <laughs> mia is like you're all gonna die tonight and then passes out once you go from there it's just like it's it's a a fun house of of like horrors basically from that point on oh and i love stuff like that <laughs> I love when it goes just balls to the walls. <laughs> yeah, and it and it's and it so does this one. So we start. We forgot to mention the cold open. What are your thoughts on the the cold open with the young girl who gets captured in the woods and then brought in is and is basically being burnt at the stake by her father and how that sets sets the tone for this movie. 
I think it's one of the scariest moments of the movie, to be honest. I yeah. And it does immediately tell you, like, this isn't going to be a comedy or a B movie like the other ones. It's going to be played completely straight, and that's going to be the point. It's going to be gory. It, it sets itself apart, I think, from the original right away, because you need that, that opening statement. Uh, Fetty Alvarez has to come in there and be like, all right, Evil Dead... Boom! This is not your. This is not your parents. Evil Dead. We're not. We're not effing around with boomsticks and all that. Like we're going. We're going for it. And and you get in this. And again, one of my favorite things that the Deadites' ultimate weapon was just that the the fake outs that they love to do every two seconds, mm-hmm. where where the girl in the beginning is like, "Daddy, what are you doing? What happened? What? Where's mom?" And all that stuff. Like I love all that stuff. The the mind games that they play. It's it's such a hallmark of this franchise and i love that they they keep they keep that alive because every single time it happens it's like when i watch an elm street movie and you know that like the character is in a dream but they don't know yet so it's that dramatic irony of us the audience being like oh this like you get that 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 uh instant thrill just every time they pull that in these movies and i love that they 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 just go for it right out the gate oh yeah this movie like builds tension so well you have all those eerie imagery at the beginning. You have the dead, the dead cats in the in the basement. You have let's see, the, the, there's a really close up, close up of a, the meat slicer. <laughs> it's like cutting off, like you know what, what looks like roast beef or something, um, to foreshadow what it, what ends up all the all the carnage that's going to come later. And you get so many moments of that that is just ominous frames of foreboding and i and i love that this this movie yeah it spends i'd say 20 minutes 20 something minutes building 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 i think the first gruesome moment or or first like tip towards that is mia in the in the shower is is correct is that like the first i think that's the first uh, the first thing in that eric sees in the book is boiling the boiling water and just like i guess oh sure yes yeah i would definitely well it does hint to it. You're talking about like the main thing, not the cold open, because the cold right. open is pretty brutal. The cold open is pretty brutal. Yeah, I'll give you that one for sure, for sure. But then it goes from there. Like you said, it's that that instant blast of of scares. And Wes Craven famously was like, "Once you, all you got to do is give them a big scare up front, and then you don't have to hit them as hard again until like later on towards the end of the of the film." And this movie already does that with that striking opening. And then it's like 20 minutes of who are these characters? What are they doing here before things get start getting bad? And then, well, we actually get a reprise of the, one of the main characters again in the original Cheryl out in the woods getting attacked by the woods. What are your what's your what are your thoughts on that sequence here and how it differs or uh, compares to the original? I think both are really uncomfortable to watch. <laughs> yes, yeah, so much. Like that's one of my le- that's one of my least favorite things about the original, and I think that's. I don't think it's as brutal or like as. It it doesn't go as hard in this movie, so mm-hmm. it's a little easier to, to to digest for me. But yeah, it does make me uncomfortable. <laughs> but I, I think, think that's one, the point. Yeah, for sure. In the first one, it's clearly supposed to be like an ex. Uh, an exploitation movie, shock, shock horror type of deal that they actually went for that. And here you get a, I guess, mildly tamer. It's the, the, the branches or whatever, just like 
crawls inside her instead of instead of just penetrating and then letting letting her loose i guess is, is the big difference <laughs> i know i know sorry it's not the language no um, it's okay the big difference i think here is we actually see what she sees which is is the possessed version of herself i think that's an interesting wrinkle that this movie adds to the franchise that she actually has visions or whatever of of what she's about to become essentially. And, and I like that. I love that. It's, it, it adds an extra, it, it gives you something tangible to the, to the unseen evil other than just having the, 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 the fast zooms through the woods and everything that the iconic filmmaking technique that, that Raimi came up with for the original film. And mm-hmm. so I like that we get a little more of a visible threat in that, in that moment and throughout. Yeah. I think with adding the pathos to, to Mia, to Mia, Yes. Okay. <laughs> I think by adding the pathos to Mia, we add in the the fear of the self aspect into this, which I always love in horror movies. Yeah, she literally faces herself down at the at the end. She's literally it like it's it, it, is it on the nose? Yeah, but this is a movie called Evil Dead. It's not trying to be subtle with its themes here, exactly. <laughs> so, so she oh. she literally faces down her by the end of this and chainsaws that shit in half. <laughs> in, oh, that in, in, ending. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> I'm sure we'll get to it later, but I love that ending so much. Yeah, I do too. I do. It's very, very epic. So, so yeah, so we get Mia in the woods she comes back, get that great scene of her and, and uh, David, where she's like, there's something out there in the woods. And, and I think it's in here with us now that the trailer, the red band trailer that I remember dropping at New York Comic-Con. And then they released it online shortly thereafter. And pe- people were like, oh my God, they're really going to go for it. Cause there's, there's so much of the like most more gruesome moments in this film, in that trailer that they were just to let people know we're not, we're not screwing around. We're going to do justice to this franchise. They intercut with her telling David that, that the evil is in the house with them. It ends with her cutting her tongue and that kiss moment with Natalie. Love it, but ew. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So much of this is I love it, but ew. That's the mission statement of this movie. Yeah. But yeah, because we get Mia as both both hero and villain. And I think that's another interesting element that this film adds. As you said, the protagonist is, is clear from the get-go, but the protagonist also spends the majority of the movie as the villain. Mm-hmm. as well and starts as our, our our hero and then ends as a hero but like in the middle there's a moment there where do you think this movie was trying to give us a little bit of a misdirect that david is going to be the ash because it it almost wants to play it that way but i don't feel i don't know if it's shiloh fernandez as an actor just his performance isn't strong enough or maybe the the script didn't really connect that way did you did you buy for a second that david was going to be the hero in the story no, I, no, not that I can remember. I think it's clear from the beginning who the protagonist is, and I'm yeah. pretty sure it that leads into who's going to be the who's going to save the day. Yeah, it usually yeah. does. Yeah, yeah, usually I think it's. I feel like because I feel like if you're you're looking at this movie as a one to one comparison with the original, Mia is Cheryl, Ash is David, but I, I, I yeah, I don't really. I never a hundred percent bought that that was going to be the case. I don't know. I think there's something about maybe David's just not, but then again, if watching the, if I was watching the original now without the knowledge of evil dead two and army of darkness, I probably wouldn't have thought that 
Ash was going to be the hero, as you were saying. That's like one of the, the issues with that movie. It's like, well, who is this movie about? Like, what is their arc? And you don't know until later on. And then you're like, oh, I guess it's this guy. Cool. And then it ends um, pretty quickly after that fact. But yes, I, I like... I like that she is both the hero and the villain. You get, of course, the dogs that always the first one to go in these movies, not kicking the the tension up a notch again, like you were saying, building building that that tension and building that atmosphere until it be, reaches a fever pitch. About like I said, thirty seven minutes in or so. Is there is there a particular? I guess we should just get this out of the way now. Is there a particular moment in this that you find the most gruesome? Because I have multiple candidates here because I do think from a violence perspective, this is by far the most the most upsetting <laughs> to watch of oh, the four. The, the, the violence is more realistic. There's not like milky fluid coming out of the deadites like there is in the first one. The second one, it's more of a black tar substance. Mm-hmm. And then in this film, they're they're not messing around. They're not really, Alvarez is not really super stylizing the violence. It's just more like, this is what would happen if you decided to do that to yourself. Is there a particular moment in here that, that stands out to you as the most, the most impactful? Because I, I could think of at least two or three off the top of my head. I really think it's the one where she cuts her own face open. Yeah. I think, didn't you mention that before? The- I mentioned, I mentioned Mia cutting her tongue and mm. then she sp- splits her tongue in half. And then like, basically I guess bl- has a bloody makeout session with Natalie at the, on the stairs in the basement. But it sounds like, I think you're talking about Olivia mm-hmm. in the, the bathroom with the, yes. the scalpel or, or whatever that is. Yeah. Oh yes. It looks beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and that scene also highlights another thing that I thought was, was really, was really intriguing wrinkle is that as, as opposed to in the other ones, once they're possessed, except for when they are trying to mess with their, their victims and reverting back to their, their normal appearance and, and voice and all of that, they that's they're pretty much in deadite mode. Whereas in this film, when they're when they're possessed, when the when the evil gets inside them, usually it's usually by some form of blood or whatever gets on them, or they get attacked by Mia or something like that. It's usually how it passes on, uh, in, or they're infected. So it has more of one. It has more of a zombie quality to it, and there seems to be a moment where they turn, and then and then it's like you can tell that that person like involuntarily like Natalie in the bathroom she's walking out to leave the bathroom and then she stops and she she urinates on herself and she has us like spasms and then just starts going to town slicing her face so what do you what do you thoughts i guess on how the the deadites are they have a new mo which is i guess self mutilation and just preparing the souls for for the demon to take there's more specificity there at least too I I think I think that's part of why they added so much pathos into this movie. Mm-hmm. Not only to make it stronger, but like to make you feel for the characters more and when they're like in the middle of like as they're being possessed but before they get all death mutilation on themselves, <laughs> I guess. Like there's more emotional there there are more emotional moments to it. There's more of a struggle, I think, internally with those characters too. Like you could see them like trying to resist, like at least in that moment, Olivia is just like 
Like, no, 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 I don't want, I don't want what's about to happen to happen. And then when it does take over, it's just, they go just, they just go beast mode. Their eyes are, are wild and everything. I really like the, the redesign for the, for the deadites here as well. Cause in the first one, at a certain point, Linda just looks like she's wearing clown makeup by the end. Whereas <laughs> here they're just more, they're just more feral and, and animalistic, which I thought was a really cool reimagining of that. It is. What I was going to say, I was specifically thinking about Eric when I was talking about how like there's that moment between yes. Oh, that's such a sad moment. Are you talking about Eric's discovery of Olivia in the bathroom or No, like after Eric gets possessed. Oh isn't yes. There, isn't there yeah, like yeah. that sad moment um with David, right? Yes, I believe so. Where he's like, he's, I think he, he's the, the movie establishes up front. Eric is like resentful at David for not being around. And, and then it, 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 one of the, like the last things Eric says is that, Oh, I'm so glad that you came with us or whatever, basically forgives his friend and then, and then seemingly dies. And then I think then emerges as, as, as possessed Eric later on. Right. Yes. Maybe <laughs> I'm, Oh my God. I should have watched this like right before <laughs> the podcast. I know it's, it, it, this is the one I've seen of the four. The one I've probably seen the least just because it, it's an intense watch. So it's like, I have to be in the right headspace for this one. It's not like evil dead two or army of darkness. Like I could put those on like all the time and they're just like fun and digestible and not really, there's nothing like super wild about it that, that I find like upsetting, but this one is, yeah, because, because, you feel more for these characters. They feel like characters and they don't feel like, Oh, well, there goes that person who's left. They, they don't feel like it's not, it's not like a, a, a tally of, of who's in the room. It's more of like, Oh man, too bad. There goes Eric. We hardly knew you. It's we actually know their names and their stories a little bit. And I think that, I think that that leans into the emotionality that you were bringing up. That's true. Actually a few hours ago, I did. I watched uh, Candyman for the first time. Which is another one I expected to be just like another one of those slashers because I I also finished the Friday series a few weeks ago, mm-hmm. and it's really not that it's it's a lot more it's more like the Evil Dead remake. It's not really a slasher like you get to know the characters and only a few people die. Yeah, yeah, and I like I I prefer movies like that. I think there's a time and place for slashers, but like. Movies like the, the Evil Dead, the remake, or Candyman, or those types of movies, where it's more about the characters, not just like, m- not about the killing. Right. Yeah. You need a character-based story because you want to care about the people that are that are being killed off. Otherwise, it's just it's just shallow gore. And and I mean, there's a, there's a time and a place for that if that's what you're in the in the zone for. But those <laughs> movies don't really have a lot of substance if if they're lucky they have enough style to stand out but for the most part it's just like yeah they feel very generic to me and that's why like that's why i've been very picky with which franchises i've covered on the show because if i if i pick one like that that is more just a body count that that lacks in personality that lacks in characters that you actually care about or want to follow then i'm stuck watching seven eight nine ten of them for, for this podcast so that's why 
yeah, like Evil Dead, I think it, this movie really nails that balance of, of character with, with, with the horror elements as well. Yeah, exactly. And like while I was watching the Friday series, I was like, oh, I wonder like if Robert were to ask me to come on talk about talk about one of these movies, could I talk about any of these movies for an hour and a half? Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I don't know if I could. <laughs> There's not a whole lot to dig into, I think, too. It's with some of those, like with with Jason Voorhees, his backstory is essentially the, the thing with his mother. And that's about it. Here you got you have all this like with Chucky, obviously, you have a crazy voodoo mythos. And then here you have this book, which in this movie, like I was saying, is is like weirdly more specific. It's it's talking about, oh, he has to take five souls it, it, it refers to a specific demon, I guess, Silicandar and Kandarian demon. And, and it, and it has instructions on like, or like observations or whatever, like what the process is, like what they do when they're possessed, which I thought was really interesting. It's like, if you're trying to summon this demon, this is what you, this is how, this is how you do it or whatever. Like, this is how you, you serve the souls to him essentially. And that fact that it focuses on five souls felt like a reference, not only to the original film, but also felt like they, post cabin in the woods the the i guess it's 2012 movie which came out like right before this post like a postmodern commentary on like well these are how these cabin movies go five of these people need to die and, and it, it leans into a, a little bit of a meta textual element i think that's that's an interesting take i hadn't i hadn't really thought about that until you mentioned that <laughs> i i guess that's true i guess it is like a postmodern not like so far as in like scream right because literally in cabin in the woods there there's five characters they all have to fit specific archetypes and it's supposed to be spoilers for you've seen cabin in the woods right angie yes yeah okay good so spoilers for anyone listening for cabin in the woods (laughs) but the whole point which is a great movie and shame on you if you're a horror fan and haven't seen cabin in the woods it is a great uh, movie it's pretty awesome which the whole point in that being that this organization basically lures young people, college students, I guess, in that case, to a cabin, again, with with built-in person to warn them off so they can absolve themselves of guilt with pheromones and everything to try and manipulate them to fit specific molds to please this like ancient god, which is pretty clearly supposed to be a, a metaphor for the audience. Like, this is what he needs. This is what they need to see. You know, which and I feel like there's a little bit of that un- underlying the the way that the book is laid out this time, and, and they don't necessarily have someone at a creepy guy at a gas station being like, "You better turn away." This is not people never come back from that cabin or anything like that. But you get the, in the book literally four million times. Leave this book alone. Don't read this. And Eric's like, "Hmm, I should probably read this and like try and and he like literally like puts a piece of paper over and like reveals the writing that's underneath the and everything. It's like, dude, don't read. What are you doing? Like, do you feel like yeah. the characters in this movie are dumber than the people in the original? Because I I feel like I feel like it's the case. Oh my god, that's a, that's such a tough question. I guess, yeah. Well, in the first one, they play a tape, which they could have been like shut it off when it starts to upset everyone, and it's obviously creepy. But here, he goes like extra effort to 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 bring this demon onto this cabin. It's like, dude, why are you messing with this? Clearly, there's some messed up stuff happening in this basement. I don't understand. 
I guess I guess like dumb teenager trademark yeah. is <laughs> is like a smarter thing than actively dumb teenagers. <laughs> right. Exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, well, they didn't know any better. Here, he shouldn't... Plus, all of these characters are, are... I think in the original, they're supposed to be, like, college students, like 20, 21, whatever. Oh, okay. here, Here, they all feel like they're slightly older. They feel like they're all mid-20s, at least, to me. And, yeah, I don't know. It's just one thing that struck me. I'm like, wow, Eric is... Like, if there's anything in this movie that I could really gag a sting, it's that Eric makes the dumbest choice imaginable. But without that, I guess we wouldn't have a movie. So good job, Eric. Guess so. But but yeah. So going back to the violence <laughs> part of it, you mentioned Olivia like in the bathroom cutting her face. I think that's definitely one. But what what really gets me about that scene upon rewatch is her attack on him with the syringe, and and then the the aftermath of him like pulling the, the needle out. And, and that whole thing, it, it, that's one that really stands out to me. Not only that, the movie goes to that, that again, going back to that like tangible, visceral nature of the violence here, that he slips on the piece of her cheek that's on the floor and then falls <laughs> over. And then he has his outburst with her. Like that's, that is the real, like that's when the, when the movie really puts its, plants its flag in the ground. It's like, here we go. Strap in here everybody. This is the first of many people that's gonna suffer this fate olivia is the first one out the gate and i feel like the she obviously got vomited blood on like moments before which is why she goes in the bathroom to clean herself up and then i and then i think the other one that really gets me is is natalie with natalie with the arm what are your <laughs> thoughts on natalie's natalie's arm and the, the the moment i think that that really when i saw this in theater is where everyone was just gasping was when she turns, when they go to see her and she turns and it's like hanging there. Um, <laughs> just barely. It's like, God, uh. like I'm not a huge gore hound, but like, man, this movie commits to it. And I and respect for that. Uh, it, it goes for it in every conceivable way. Just when you're like, no, they're not. Oh, they are. They are doing that. Um, <laughs> they are. It's wow. Oh yeah. Oh, I could talk about this score for so long. It's <laughs> it just looks the best. I don't know if I would say I'm a gore hound either. I, I'm sure that I've given a lot of people red flags by laughing about how cool the gore is <laughs> so far. But yeah, it it does look cool. It looks real is the thing too. It does it, look it, real. It, it it looks unlike the first one where it looks like a rubber foot that's being a pen, pencils jammed into it or whatever. It it looks like like this person just cut their arm off. Like it, it has that that everything is very viscous and 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 I don't know, juicy for lack of a better term. <laughs> it's it Fetty Alvarez knows how to how to capture that to make it feel more upsetting because you see the little details in it. You see that later on too. When when Mia's hand is stuck under the car, and she has to pull her, leave her hand behind and pull her arm off, you see a similar like tearing situation happening uh, uh. as you see with as you see with Natalie, and it's and it's it's done so well. That's that's one of the things. That's part of why I feel like so so many horror fans are so passionate about the genre is because there's so much craft that goes into that. Someone had to design what that's going to look like, how's it's going to play out, how they're going to capture it on film. And there's such 
there's such artistry that goes into yes this this disgusting stuff like people's limbs coming off and everything but there's a there's a lot of forethought that has to happen in order to make it to make it have that impact on audiences and as you've said a couple times to look so damn good on screen i i will say i have two thoughts i will say that the first movie has one of my favorite practical effects in horror mm-hmm. and it's it's when like with stop motion the spider web appears like the spider web uh, design appears in like lady's foot. Right. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. 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 That's cool. I absolutely love how that looks. I don't know why. I think that's one, like, that's like one of my favorite shots in movies ever. <laughs> yeah. Stop <laughs> for motion. I'm a, I'm a sucker for stop motion in general. So yeah, totally. And then there's that scene at the end, at the end of the first one where like everyone's bodies are, is everyone's bodies are just like melting away basically. And I think that looks so cool too. Yeah, like it, it looks good in a it looks really cool in a different way. Right. Like exactly. Evil Dead looks Evil Dead looks more realistic. But the Evil Dead, the Evil Dead rather. It doesn't look realistic, but it still looks really good. Mhm. Yeah, there's a certain charm to to that that approach to, to the genre I think as well. And then my other thought, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure they actually buried Jane Levy. Didn't they? I think they might have. I think I remember because I, I, there was a point when I got this movie on, because I have this on Blu-ray. When I got it on Blu-ray, I'm, I'm almost 100% positive I listened to the commentary in that. And I think that they did bury her and they had her head in there probably with like a hose or something so she could breathe in between times. I hope so. Something crazy like that. Like, And I think that's part of why I've, I've read as much as we love this movie and as much as we want to see more of Mia, like I think Jane Levy is not particularly into it. I think she's like, yeah, no, I don't want to do that again. That was hard. Like months of being tortured and covered in prosthetics and, and blood and like bury it. And it's like branches all over my arms. And yes, it's not real. I'm not really being attacked, but I'm really having to deal with this, this environment for months at a time. So I, to her, for her credit, I understand that. Um, but yes, I, be, I believe so. That's also a, a really scary scene too, where she's in the, she's being buried alive. David thinks that that's one of the, well, that's actually ultimately... Is that how, how does he get her back? Not the, it's not the burying. He like, I forget. He kills her and then brings her back. Maybe it is the burying. I think he buries her. She stops breathing. Then he takes her out and then defibrillates her. So technically he did kill his sister and then brings her back, which is, is seated early in the movie when they talk about technically your sister died. She, she overdosed and, and they had to bring her back and, and they, it happens again here. It's like, She's essentially reborn, free of of the the demon, and uh, yeah, I love I love that whole sequence where he's burying her, and and we think that maybe he's given up on her, and then he it turns out that he's he actually has a plan. He had this all set up and ready to go to try and like a last ditch effort to rescue her. So I, I love that the emotional through line of the brother sister dynamic. That's really cool. That is one of the best parts of the movie by far, just that yeah. whole dynamic. Like you can tell he definitely cares for her and they both have real honest to God motivations. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I want to talk about all the iconography from the original trilogy that's in here. Cause 
watching all four of these movies so close together for this podcast series, I really picked up on just how much is is in this movie that's a reference to the to the original. Obviously, you have the shotgun, you have the chainsaw, you have the the hand on the chainsaw, mm-hmm. evil moving through the woods. You get the the attack in the woods, as we said earlier. There's a, a necklace in here that's that David gives to Mia that did echoes the necklace that Ash gives to uh, Linda in the original film. There is uh, even things like there's like uh, quick cuts. He goes to the woodshed at one point and there's like quick cuts before like back and forth as he grabs different things, which is something I think is in Evil Dead 2 when he's getting all the all the material to like attack to attack Linda or to build his, his chainsaw arm. I forget one, but it's more played for comedic effect. There's even a lullaby in this where there's a story there. There's a song that she says that Mia sings to David that their mother used to sing to them. And she sings it while she's being buried, I think, to try and like to get to get to liberate herself to 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 get his sympathies again, which again, which feels like a direct echo of Evil Dead 2, where Henrietta is in the fruit cellar. Another another reference, the fruit cellar. And she's using that to try and get Annie to, to open it up and let her loose. Like all these little details that, that are set up in earlier films that they, they just revisit in a slightly different, and like we've said, more thematically resonant, more emotional context. I think it really goes to show how so many of the, 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 the tools that Raimi used in those original films, how strong they are that you can just, assemble them in a different way. And it feels like an homage, but without ripping off anything that he did. It's, it, I think that was really, it stands to, it's a testament to how much Alvarez puts those films on a pedestal that he was able to have so many references to so many little details from there. Exactly. Exactly. And that's why, that's why I brought up my point that like, the the remake was made because they wanted to make it and it was out of love for the original series. Yes. With Raimi and, and Campbell involved on, as producers and all of that too. So it's not, and that was a big thing that they pushed in the marketing too. They're like from the original creators. <laughs> so they're like, don't get mad at us. We're, it's not like we're <laughs> handing it off to someone else. It's, it's, it is, it is very much a passion project. I feel like for all involved and you still, you still get a lot, a lot of the, the, some well, not all, I shouldn't say a lot of, but you still get some of the fun from the from the other films. There's Mia in in this movie is it feels like she's pulling the strings in a in a way that's more direct, more directly tied to what happens to everyone else than in the other films because she's literally in the cellar trying to like basically reverse psychology Natalie into cutting her arm off. She's like, "Don't do it! Don't do it!" And then giggling in the bottom of the in the cellar when she does do it, oh. things like that which was a great moment. And like, as much as this movie must've been traumatic for, for Jane Levy to film, because it does seem really intense. It had to be so much fun to kind of play that over the top, like gleeful, that sadistic side of the character. God. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's just so upsetting the entire time. And that's, that is definitely why I love it. <laughs> there are scenes like those just like all throughout it and that reverse psychology really is so so upsetting and so realistic yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know and, and moments like that like that black comedy where 
where she, where, where Mia is just kind of, is, is happy that, 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 that her plan worked with Natalie, et cetera. Like there's very little actual levity in this movie. I feel like there's little moments like that. There's a couple of lines that, that Eric says that I wanted to point out that are just funny because they're so like, so blatantly pointing out all the crazy stuff that's happening where he's like, she just, she just cut her fucking arm off. Does that sound fine? And and what a virus makes someone cut their face off with a piece of glass. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, good point, Eric. Yeah, you I rest- guess you're right. <laughs> <laughs> like the fact that the movie is just so we know how messed up this is. We're going to have because because David is in denial. He's like, it's going to be fine. It's all good. We're like, we'll get out of this. He's like, I don't none of this is fine. He's like everything. I don't know if you noticed, but everything has gotten worse, which is ironic that the character, the same character who read the book is the one who's like, this is bad. We shouldn't have done this, guys. Like, this is bad, uh, actually. <laughs> I can't believe you guys did this. No, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Eric's like, I don't know. I feel like whatever just happened was a bad idea. I'm like, yeah, you think? <laughs> uh, yeah, I think they're self-aware. Yeah, in exactly. that regard <laughs> of how stupid the how stupid the idea was. Yeah, and and I love I love that the movie just calls itself out in in a couple of places for that. The score also in this is great. Is really really epic, and I think. I think leads in that leads into the climax of the film. So everyone is dead, including Eric, David, Eric, obviously before David, and then David basically kills himself, blows, like burns the the cabin down to, to kill himself essentially. And since Mia is already dead, that's the five souls. So then what happens Angie outside while, while Mia is watching her brother burn to death? Blood rain, blood rain. Yes, it does. <laughs> oh my god, I love. That's my favorite visual in the movie by far. Yeah, not it's not like the goriest because you mentioned you asked me about the goriest, right? Or like right. the most upsetting. It's not the most upsetting, but it is my favorite. Yeah, it's it, yeah. Talk talk about what what is it about this climax that you love so much? The blood rain, obviously, but like <laughs> why why the blood rain and and speak to how this climax is. Really, I like, feel like we're in brand new territory from any of the previous films, too. Yeah, Abomination like, Mia arises. And they have this epic final battle. And that is when the gore really amps up. <laughs> <laughs> Which, obviously, like I said, I love. <laughs> yeah, it's it, she basically... the the This is the only film in the franchise where the apocalypse begins happening. Like that's supposed to be the, 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 the sign of the apocalypse that the demon is make takes physical form and, and triggers potentially world ending consequences. If Mia hadn't defeated abomination Mia in that moment, that would have been bad. And of course this is a horror franchise. It's going to live on in different forms that they say early in the, in the first one that the, the, the evil never dies. It just lies dormant and all of that. So yeah, I love that it really went there. That for a minute it seems like the world is going to end, and it's all on Mia's shoulders. That's where it's confirmed that she is the hero of the story. Like literally, going to have to save the day. And mm-hmm. she, and in case you people didn't notice it, or in case people didn't get it yet, at that point she loses her hand and pushes a chainsaw up against it. Yes, <laughs> which is yeah. so great. Ah, uh, yeah. So that that like adds to your question about is David Ash. Absolutely, that Mia is supposed to be the Ash. As if it wasn't obvious. 
Yeah. And, and then she defeats the abomination Mia and that's, and everything is seemingly all good. And she just walks off to somewhere, I guess. And that's, that's the end of this film is what an experience this movie is. It's really, it's really crazy that they are able to pull off this movie as, as a remake slash reboot of this franchise and have it be so this like this is the straight horror that that I think Raimi wanted to make initially, and having that come to fruition twenty plus years after the original film, I think it is is probably a rarity in horror to see to have that uh, that delay. I guess delayed gratification in horror is not normally something that happens, just because usually it's more of a a, a horror sequel every year thing. They churn them out. And I, and the Evil Dead franchise has never really been that that series. It's really always been like, well, we'll we'll take our time. We'll tell a story when the story is right to be told. And I think, to your point, I think that's because they want to make they want to make movies where people care about the characters. In the, in, in in two and in, in Army of Darkness, we at least care about Ash. And there's some depth that we get a little bit of of development with some of the other characters around him, but it's mostly Ash. And here there's an entire cast of characters that we have to watch and spend this dreadful night in a cabin. But, but yeah, is there, is there anything about evil dead 2013 before we start winding down that you wanted to make sure we, we mentioned how it relates to the the, uh, the rest of the franchise? Not, no, not that I can think of. I would say that, I also uh, recently watched Don't Breathe. Yes. And you were mentioning how you'd like it a lot. I don't, I wasn't like that big of a fan of it, but I will say that he is just an astounding horror director. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And also, Jane Levy has put through even more traumatizing stuff in that movie. I know. I know. And I've heard, I, I know the sequel is out now and I've heard mm, things about the sequel. So I'm like, I don't know. Without Fetty Alvarez and Jane Levy, like, do I really want a sequel to that? I don't I don't know how much I care. Yeah, I, I heard it wasn't very good. I, I had the opportunity to like go see some movies at the theater recently. Mm-hmm. And there were a lot I wanted to see, but like I, I looked at Don't Breathe 2 and I was like, that's an easy no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah you weren't even as into the first one as i was so yeah imagine me being like yeah i love that movie oh second one oh without the people i want to see in it never mind mm. um <laughs> horror is just it's, it's you can pick and look at halloween it's very choose your own adventure the halloween franchise it's like which which of laurie strode's stories do you want to follow track a b or c you know <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> yeah it's become very, very convoluted. I think that the fact that Evil Dead has been around since 1981 and has only four movies, but they're all distinct. They're all really strong. I think that's that's one thing that this franchise and uh, the Child's Play series really has in common is that there's, there's a, some form of consistent voice. Here it's Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell who are involved in this one from behind the scenes. And in there it's Don Mancini writing pretty much every film in that franchise. So, but as far as Evil Dead, what would you say is, how, what does this franchise contribute to cinema, the genre? What's the legacy of Evil Dead in your eyes? The most important franchise ever. No, I'm just kidding. It might as well be. no, I think it definitely is one of the defining horror franchises, though. Yeah. I think, I would say, obviously, the big three are Friday, Halloween, and then you've got Scream, and the next one might be Evil Dead. I I can't think of another one that 
goes above it. Yeah. It's been, it's been so huge on the, not only for horror, but also just for like indie filmmakers, just the fact that it started off with these, these like five kids in a cabin and it's like, all right, well, what story can we tell here? I got some paint. I got some, we can, we can make some a few gallons of fake blood and we can, we can make a movie. And now here we are 40 years later, we're talking about the, the remake slash reboot. There's been a TV series. There's been video games, comic books. There's another movie coming up. So it's like, the fact that it has grown to this extent, I think is really, it really impressive. And I think it shows also how, especially in horror, you can start from humble beginnings and you never know like where the road is going to take you. That that this, this small story of these five kids in a cabin who are attacked by evil, this mysterious evil, just a camera zooming through the woods, which is literally all you see of that evil in that film. Until it takes until it takes you know possession of the other characters that it could blow up into this multimedia phenomenon and I think that's I think that says a lot for Sam Raimi's vision and Bruce Campbell's charisma on screen and then in the, in this film as we've said several times Jane Levy's like committed performance and Fetty Alvarez's the the vision that he brings to to Sam Raimi's template and the way that he modernizes the violence and on not not only the violence but the storytelling. And I think that's, it's, it's a really, I, like you said, I think it's, it is probably one of the only horror films remakes that stands up and feels like an essential, an essential addition to the, to what came before and not just like, eh, watch the Elm streets with, with Freddie or with the Robert Englund, but, but you can, you can skip the remake or you can skip the, the Texas chainsaw ones or whatever, like the, the Rob zombie Halloween's like all of that. Like this feels like the rare horror remake where you're like, okay, yeah. Have you seen the remake though? Like you saw the originals, yeah. but, but you got to see the 2013. It's so good. And I think it's gotten that reputation more and more over time. Yeah, and it's interesting. The franchise already had such a dedicated fan base. And I think that the remake was made by some of those dedicated fans. Absolutely. And that always helps, too, because that they they take it personally if the movie fails. If, mm-hmm. if Especially having Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell presumably on set for some of this. I, I can't imagine how Fatty Alvarez would be like, oh, crap. If, if they were like, yeah, what is this shit? What are you doing to my my property? This is my IP and you're running it into the ground. So I, I love that, yeah, he came to play. I think before we get to your ranking, I want to know, obviously, it doesn't sound like we're getting a sequel to this film anytime soon. I know Evil Dead Rise is supposed to be set in more of an urban environment centered on two sisters. Is there is there anything specific with this being the most recently released Evil Dead uh, film, at least, I know we had Ash vs. Evil Dead, which is which is a show that I recommend people check out. Is there any like what do you want to see from the future of this franchise? Whether it's it's in the next film that's coming up next year or just ongoing. Man, I like I said, all of them are so different and they all do it so well that it might as well be literally anything. <laughs> you know, they could yeah. throw. They could throw just any shit at the wall and I'd probably like it. <laughs> Inject deadites <laughs> into it point. and you're good. Yeah. Well, and that's, and that's the thing too. Like Bruce Campbell has said that with Evil Dead Rise, they're taking it out of the woods, out of the cabin, which I think is a very smart decision because three out of these four movies take place with like five kids in a cabin or five people in a cabin. And I think that if you do, that's like the, like we talked about with, with Child's Play. Like if you had done Chucky and Andy for seven movies, that would have... 
people would have gotten bored of that real fast. You had to shake it up, introduce Tiffany, introduce me and Nika and, and enliven that franchise. So I think that's a smart move, but it's also something that Ash versus Evil Dead already did that. Like it's, it's taken that this premise and applied it to something wildly different and at least environment. I know there, there's more mythology on the show that's, but it's, it's not necessarily so focused on, on this very, very closed, closed in premise. It, it blows it out on a grander scale. And I, I, yeah, I think that's, it, it, there's also a fine line there because like, I would want them to do it like not necessarily like more epic in scale, but not necessarily making like a hundred million dollar evil dead movie, because that wouldn't be good. I don't want CG deadites is, is what I'm saying. Yeah, that's true. I think that, that like would avoid the point. Right. Right. That's nobody wants that. Nobody needs to see the, the prosthetics have worked just fine. Stop motion. Even if you need to do a little CG for like, for like, there's sometimes the deadites, they turn into monsters inexplicably in the earlier movies, which mm-hmm. I'm like, I don't know how that's possible, but sure. That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> that is the one thing. That's the one thing I'll say that I don't want. Like yeah, all of these movies, like I said, this franchise has such a dedicated fan base and I think they need to appeal to like they need to appeal to that fan base still Mm -hmm. in some way. And I think that would be like making it low budget, just like having fun with it. Maybe being Bruce Campbell back. I don't know. I'm all for that. I'm all for that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And, And it's, I think it's I think it's it's pretty clear that with this movie, Fede Alvarez was trying to avoid, like he doesn't have them, he doesn't have the deadites morph into some beast at any point in this film. It's much more, it's much more these people doing this to themselves. They're they're taken over by evil, but they're not turning into creatures. This is not this is not really as much of a creature feature as as some of the other films I think are. And I think that's like we said, that's mostly so that it feels more grounded and less fantastical, and therefore darker and scarier. And so it's all a balance of tone. But but I think he pulls it off nicely here. So obviously to wind down, it seems like we're both in agreement. This is this, this is a smooth ride, not a not a wrong turn in the franchise. That this keeps it the trucking along in a satisfying way, which is really hard, especially for a horror remake. But but I want to know what is your ranking of the four Evil Dead films? Oh boy, okay. <laughs> so first, I have to say it's not like the Chucky series where it's yeah. like all over the map. I love all four of these movies so much same it is not easy for me to rank these but and i know this first one's gonna hurt but my least favorite is the evil dead for the issues that i mentioned before i still it's like a strong seven i love it so much but i think compared to the other ones it's not as strong and then army of darkness and then the top two are so close to being tied. It's really hard. This, these two, <laughs> these in particular. But I will say, Evil Dead Two, and the number one is the remake. Wow! I know. High praise. 
I know. Yeah. I <laughs> No, I I was I, that's that's a little surprising. I think that totally valid. They those two are those are probably my top two as well. I would probably flip it somewhat, but again, it's it's pretty close. It's not the the fact that we are talking about a horror ostensibly a horror remake that is better than the original and part of the original run of the franchise is is says a lot, I think. And the fact that you put it at on the top is is even more impressive. So, yeah, I think it it's 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 definitely up there. I, I, regardless of where I land, I think that that's 100% respectable ranking for sure. I definitely think it's just barely better though. Like, let that not be overstated. Right. No, no, yeah. I think it's, I think it seems like for you, is it, is it basically, is it like the craft, I think, that elevates it just a bit or the, the story elements? I think it's the craft. I, mm. Evil Dead Two is a lot of fun, but it's not as scary for me. Right? It's not. It's not as. Yeah, it's hilarious. <laughs> Let me say that, and it's trying to be hilarious, but I need that scariness too. Like with my favorite horror comedy, I mentioned it before, but it's Scream. Right. It it puts together that horror and comedy so well. It mixes them so well, and I think that. Evil Dead 2 could have just been like a little bit better with it. It could have brought in the comedy a little bit less. You know, no, that's yeah, that's fair. I, I do think if I like I that's the the film in the franchise that balances the two the most evenly, but even then I would probably say it's 60-40 leaning towards the comedy side for sure. Yeah, for sure. It goes a little bit too Looney Tunes for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Although, even when no. even when the violence happens in there, it's in a cartoonish way. Henrietta's eye shooting into like Bobby Joe's mouth and stuff like that. Where you're like, what the hell? That was weird. More than it is <laughs> the, the darker upsetting. I also think too the the story elements of the 2013 film. It it it's weird to say an Evil Dead movie has substance, but if this one has more substance <laughs> than the other ones, it's. It's it's Mia's journey of self self acceptance and and literally pushing on to a new day by the end of it. So it's like it, it works as more of a allegorical storytelling, I think, than the other three do. So you have that additional dimension as well. I will, yeah, yes, exactly. I think the remake is still pretty flawed. It's not. It's it's really far from a five out of five for me. Mm-hmm. Not really. It's a nine. It's a nine out of ten for me. But like, <laughs> it. It. I do have issues with it. But I think it is the strongest for yeah. me. No, that's totally fair. That's totally fair. I think it feels like the movie that's going to be more and more respected as time goes on. I think we've already seen that from 2013 to 2021. I've seen horror people in the horror community that that I respect and follow on Twitter and stuff. They are very much supportive of this movie. In fact, I saw someone else, a, a critic and podcaster who who I'm a fan of and everything, not in the few last few weeks or, or was saying, what's, what's your unpopular horror opinion? And, and he retweeted it and it was like, the Evil Dead remake is better than the original. So it's out there and it's it's happening. There's a lot of people that, that put this movie, that, that are elevating this movie to that status uh, above the original, certainly. And then in contention with the second one, if nothing else. Well, good, good. I, I should <laughs> hope so. 
But yes, so I think that's all we have for for the Evil Dead franchise. I'm, as we both said, very excited to see where this series goes with the, with the new film, with any subsequent you know sequels to that. Hopefully more Jane Levy, hopefully more Bruce Campbell, but regardless, totally down for for more Deadite mayhem. Epic on a contained scale, I think is is more or less where we're leaning. But Angie Aguayo, thank you so much for coming on the show. Can you tell people where they can find you on social media? Sure. You did mention for these people to check out my letterbox, and that's at Tom Needs a Glass. That's all one word. I also have an account on a website called Album of the Year, which is basically letterbox, but for just for music. And that is the same username, Tom Needs a Glass. And I think that's about it. Oh, awesome. No, that's not oh, true. Yeah. I have <laughs> a website. <laughs> I was going to say. <laughs> Shoot. Um, it's uh, one word, Angie Aguayo Reviews, and then dot home dot blog. Excellent. And that, that's it. Great. Thank you, Angie. Well, so this was a lot of fun. We'll definitely keep you in mind for future franchise detours, mega series, as well as I have my sister show, Close Watch. We could always have you on there as well. So we'll definitely do this again. This was a ton of fun. Thank you for helping me close the the Book of the Dead on on the Evil Dead franchise. (laughs) Of course, it's my pleasure. Big thanks to film critic Angie Guayo for coming on to discuss 2013's Evil Dead. And this is it. We've reached the end. We've heard everyone's rankings. So we need to tally them up and see where we stand on the Evil Dead franchise. What is the team behind Franchise Detours? What is our our ultimate stamp of approval for this franchise? What is the best, the worst, and everything in between? So first, let's recap. First, we were joined by Briaz Muday from Killer Waffles to talk about 1981's The Evil Dead. And this was Bree's ranking. Bree had Evil Dead 2 first, Army of Darkness second, the 2013 film third, and The Evil Dead, the original. Bree had that in uh, last place, which... uh, I think they felt a little awkward about because it was the one we were discussing and it was the beginning of the franchise. But as we established in that episode, Sam Raimi had a very auspicious debut with that film and and only grew as a filmmaker from there. So when we came on to talk about Evil Dead 2 with David Rosen from Piecing It Together podcast, he also put Evil Dead 2 in first place. He had Army of Darkness in second place. But unlike Brie, he flipped and had the original Evil Dead, The Evil Dead, and then 2013's remake in, uh, in last place. When we talked about Army of Darkness, obviously Evil Dead 2, I feel like, is already building a consensus. When we came on for Army of Darkness, Jeff Johnson from Sons and Shadows cast, he put Evil Dead 2 in first place and Army of Darkness in second place, just like David and Brie. In third place was the 2013 remake, and in last place was the original Evil Dead, which, again, he also felt a little strange putting the original film, the classic that started it all, uh, in last place. But, you know, that's that tends, that seems to be where this franchise, uh, how this franchise lies. And then, as you just heard, film critic Angie Aguayo came on to discuss the 2013 remake, reboot, whatever, and had that one in first place, which I think, was, as you as you heard in the episode, surprised me, because that's... Uh, I would say not a very popular opinion, but, you know, good for her for putting that out there. As as all of my guests for this mega series have 
explained there is not really a bad movie in this bunch which how many franchises can you say that about so angie had the 2013 film in first place followed by evil dead 2 followed by army of darkness and followed by the original evil dead the evil dead so if you're keeping track that's all four uh, well three out of the four guests had the original evil dead in last place three out of the four guests had evil dead 2 in first place so when i tallied this up and what I do is, if you didn't hear the Cult of Chucky episode where I, I laid out this system, I just assign a numerical value to each selection. So when a, a movie is selected as first place, it gets one point. When it's fourth place in this case, it gets four points. And then whichever one has the fewest amount of points at the end is is the winner. And we kind of go in that order. So when I tally this up, fourth place, we had the original Evil Dead, the complete opposite of what the guests chose for uh, for the Child's Play mega series, where the original film narrowly squeaked past Bride of Chucky. Here we had Evil Dead 1, The Evil Dead, definitively in, in last place, followed by the 2013 uh, remake, reboot, etc. Followed by, in second place, 1992's Army of Darkness, which means Evil Dead 2 with a score of 5. Again, Three guests had Evil Dead 2 in first place, and Angie had it in second place. So it nearly unanimously took this thing, and very, very close, uh, very, very close universal acclaim from everyone. Obviously, even Angie admitted that Evil Dead 2 was very close with the remake. It was a neck and neck, and had she put Evil Dead 2 in first place, it would have been essentially a perfect score. But as it were, Evil Dead 2 walks away with this thing handily. And that was something I think I sort of I sort of uh, expected. For my own personal rating, I also would have put Evil Dead 2 in first place. I would have probably put... I probably would have put the remake in second, possibly. It depends on the day, but I would... Maybe the remake, then Army of Darkness. And then finally, like most of the guests, I would have put The Evil Dead in last place, which... It's really cool that this franchise has, has only gotten more or less progressively stronger. I think it's it's makes it very exciting to see what Evil Dead Rise, which is supposed to come out uh, in 2022 on HBO Max or wherever possibly. I hope we get some kind of theater uh, release for that theatrical release because I would love to see that on a big screen. Uh, very exciting to see what this franchise goes next. But I want to wrap up this mega series by giving one big thank you again to Briaz Muday. David Rosen, Jeff Johnson, and Angie Aguayo for going through the second mega series here, the one that t- people voted for on Twitter when I, I made it very clear I had four slots, and this is the one everybody wanted to hear us talk about, and so we did. So I hope that you all enjoyed the uh, Evil Dead mega series. We're going to probably come back next episode is going to be a little bit more, uh, a little bit of a break from a mega series. I like to do standalone ones in between if I, if I can, and that's kind of the goal going forward. But this will be the last episode here for 2021. In January 2022, we will return with a standalone episode, uh, which has yet to be recorded, so I won't officially put it on the record. But very exciting stuff lined up. And then we have Mad Max. We have the Sam Raimi, again, back to Sam Raimi, Sam Raimi Spider-Man trilogy, which people voted for. Again, everybody wants to hear us talk about Sam Raimi, so we're going to do it. I'm not going to not talk about Sam Raimi, if I have the ability to do so. Uh, and it, that'll be a nice lead into Dr. Strange in the multiverse of madness. Uh, and then we have uh, a couple months with Muppets, which again, not going to complain about that. Any opportunity I have to talk about Muppets, I will seize that. So, 
Uh, thank you for joining me on this Evil Dead mega series. Stick around in 2022. Like I said, we have those mega series, standalones, more or less in between, and then a lot more in the pipeline on Franchise Detours. So stick with this feed. If you want to reach out to me directly and give me your feedback, I'd love to hear it. You can find me on Twitter at Crooked Table. That's the same handle on Instagram and via email at robert at crookedtable.com. For now, that's a wrap on another Crooked Table production. And this initial run of Franchise Detours will be back with the new year, with new episodes, lots of new exciting guests, lots of stuff working. So bear with us till then. Happy holidays. Happy new year. Until then, stay crooked, everyone. This has been a production of CrookedTable.com. All rights reserved. That's the yard of the little KED. <laughs> <laughs>